0: The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. Well, let's continue our worship in the book of Exodus, chapter 15. If you would turn there, and this is the second half of the Song of Moses. And you may have noticed in the scripture reading earlier from Revelation that this is something to the end of time. God's people sing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. It's a song that speaks of God's justice, God's holiness, but also His redeeming grace for His people, and we'll see those themes again. We, we saw last week, the Lord is a warrior, and we left off in verse 12 where it says the enemy was swallowed up in victory, and I quoted how Paul takes that language and applies it to our last enemy that is death, that is swallowed up in victory, and he says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Part two of the song starts in Exodus 15, and I want to begin reading in verse 13 down through the end of the chapter. This is the inspired, inerrant, infallible, and infinitely sufficient word of our living God and this is a song to God verse 13 of Exodus 15 you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed you have guided them by your strength to your holy abode the peoples have heard they tremble pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed, trembling, seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are as still as a stone until your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased, you will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider He has thrown into the sea. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah, which means bitter. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he, this is Moses, cried to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God... And do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. I want you to imagine today you go home from worship encouraged. You've seen some things in God's word that you've never seen before. The 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 music and the lyrics of some of what you were singing it it, it moved you. It had you moving. You know, maybe not as much as Miriam dancing, but you were you were moving. That you were moved by it. You're you're still humming maybe a particular lyric that was meaningful to you as you as you drive home. But then you get home, and the power is shut off, and your water is shut off, and then while you're there, before you can go out, you get snowed in, you can't get out, and your cell service is cut off, so now we're really getting bad, right? You've heard that PG&E and EID, it's going to take them days before they can resolve this issue it's now Wednesday, you weren't prepared, you, you haven't had any water to drink for three days, but then you, you remember, we've got some water in the garage, and you find it, but it's, it's old, and it's bad, and it's bitter, and you just can't drink it at all. Imagine, though, if you've been three days in the desert, sun. son with no water. I mean, this isn't that's hard for us to imagine. 3 days in the desert with no water, you are about to die literally. That's where this chapter takes us. But many of us are going to be taken to a place of testing. Maybe even as you go from worship today, there's going to be things that you haven't anticipated. We get tested typically by far less things than Israel was tested. We have what we call first world problems. and The test is this. Will inconveniences reveal your ingratitude? Will you grumble when things don't go the way you prefer? And remember, Israel is in a life and death situation. We get in situations where just life isn't Best And there's a temptation for us to be bitter, even. And there are significant challenges that people in this room are facing, physical challenges, situations that, that maybe you don't see how it's going to change, or, or limitations that you don't see healing from. Maybe some of you have already encountered some sort of a challenge today, maybe even on the way, maybe even that is spilled out even in your speech already today. And all of us, in some way, as we go from here, there's going to be a test ahead of us. And the test is, will you go from praising to complaining? We're praising God here as we're together, but are you going to go to complaining as you go from here? And we can all go there. We can go from glorifying God to grumbling at others far too quickly and easily. We're magnifying Christ here, but we can go to murmuring, criticism, even as we go from here. We can go from worshipers to whiners. We think of our kids being whiners, but we, as we get older, just have different ways that we do that. And like Israel here, our spiritual life can go from this high time to a... Spiritually dry time. And let's remember, even the Lord Jesus. Think of that high point of his early ministry when he's, he's being baptized. And Spirit comes down in a dove. This booming voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And John says to the people, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He fulfills all righteousness or begins to do that. But then the gospel writers tell us right after that event, he goes out to the desert. He goes out to the wilderness. He goes from the waters of the Jordan to the wilderness of Judea to be tempted, to be tempted by physical need. And I think sometimes when we're being tested, We wouldn't say this, but we we think we deserve better than Jesus and what he went through. And we've, we've talked before in other messages about how when we grumble, we're not humble. And we're actually insulting the Lord who is over all things in our life and is there to help us and is intending this for our good. And so we're no better than Israel here, but this passage can help us better respond to that next test that could come today or in the days ahead and god's going to show us here his power to transform bitter to sweet but not only that he has power to transform our bitter grumblings to sweet praise to him he is the lord our healer that's how he reveals himself he can heal from any disease, he can also heal from discontentment, he can heal from wounds of the past or hurts in the present, and he can take his people from complaining back to praising. And the first reality we're going to see as we walk through this text that helps us in that is, number one, give thanks For God's steadfast love. This is where the passage starts. This is God's way of praising instead of complaining. In the first verse we read, verse 13, Give thanks for God's steadfast love. It says, You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. At this point, his holy presence is is in the cloud and it's in the fire and he's leading them toward that, but he's also leading them to later where that's going to be in the tabernacle. His, his holy presence there. And then later, when they get into Canaan and into Jerusalem, it's going to be in the temple. But he's already leading them toward that. It's by his strength that he's going to lead them to Mount Sinai, that holy mountain, and then to Mount Zion later to worship with thanksgiving, but the the whole context here is is giving thanks and praise to God. And and in verse 13, the key word that we didn't look at last time is the word steadfast love. That rich word chesed, the covenant love of God to his people. And it's a it's a word that can't really be translated with just one English word. And so translations may say unfailing. Love or faithful love or loyal love or loving kindness or his mercies, all of those are, are captured with this word. Listen to Psalm 136 Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever. And he brought Israel out from among them for his steadfast love endures forever, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two for his steadfast love endures forever. Sorry getting the point. That was to be responsive, even reading. And so uh, he made Israel pass through the midst of it for his steadfast love endures forever. He overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. Say it with me. His steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. 36 times in one song. That point is being driven home with this same word. His steadfast love endures forever. God wants that to be echoing in the hearts of his people as we go from worship. We need to remember his steadfast love endures forever. His his mercies never come to an end. Same word. They are new every morning. We need to remember that. We need to sing that. We need to give thanks to God for that. And when you give thanks for God's attributes. That that even process of giving thanks can begin to change your attitude. Even saying those things back to God, I've experienced that many times. I'm about to pray of something I'm concerned about, but I begin to speak of the truths of God and it begins to change me before I even get to those concerns. And this is one of the cures to complaining in scripture. Start thanking God for His steadfast love. All you have to do is look back. Everything He's done in the past, present, and future, that psalm says, is because of His steadfast love, His loving kindness. And so in the end of verse 13, He's guiding us with strength to be with Him. Thank Him for that, how He guides you. Thank You for, for Your strength, Lord. Thank You for, it says, leading us, redeeming us. That word redeem is a word to to buy back and to set free. And it's the word used of what what Jesus does. He he purchases our our freedom from sin. He died to pay for sin and to set us free from sin. Not just to to pay the penalty, but to to set us free, to liberate us. He died as a substitute for sinners. That's what the Passover in the last chapter pointed to a couple chapters earlier He died to redeem them, but also part of this picture is to defeat sin and to defeat death by his resurrection. So he didn't stay dead, he rose again to show his power and his strength that this verse talks about that leads us as he redeems us. I read this by B.B. Warfield from another century. He wrote this, there is no one of the titles of Christ which is more precious to Christian hearts than Redeemer He says, Redeemer expresses appreciation of what it cost him to procure this salvation for us. It is the name specifically of the Christ on the cross. Whenever we pronounce the word Redeemer, he says the cross should be placarded before our eyes and our hearts should be filled with loving remembrance, not only that Christ has given us salvation, but that he paid a mighty price for it. We need to remember that. We need to remember the price was a price that no one else could pay. We cannot pay. We cannot earn our way to heaven. None of us can be good enough to get there. There is only one way, and that is through the Redeemer, the Mediator between God and man, that Jesus paid it all. and That we are called to repent of our sin, to receive Him as Lord and Redeemer, which is another word for Savior. And as we receive that, we need to praise him for that. This is how Moses thanked God in Deuteronomy 9, verse 26. You have redeemed through your greatness. You have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. It's, it's through God's greatness. It wasn't about Israel's greatness. Israel right now is only great at complaining in this chapter. It wasn't about them. It was about God's greatness, his steadfast love. And so we start where this passage starts, give thanks for his steadfast love. But as we walk through this passage, we can also see his sovereignty and supremacy. And there's other people besides Israel who are going to see this and they're going to hear about what happened at the Red Sea where this God of Israel named Yahweh was seen to be supreme over Egypt's gods. Egypt was the world superpower at the time and was utterly decimated by this God. And so verse 14 says, as they hear that, they tremble. Or some of the versions say they're gripped with anguish, they're, they're gripped with sorrow, Because these people are now coming into their territory. And so verse 15 says the leaders of Edom and Moab panic. And all the Canaanites are are melting in fear. And so this is part of a prophecy as well that's beginning to happen here. It's kind of an already and not yet dynamic. But the word is already spreading now. And the nations are going to see more and more his supremacy. They're going to see the superior arm. And they're going to fear, it says. In verse 18, he will reign forever and ever. That's his sovereignty. He's reigning always, and we need to remember this. He is reigning forever and ever. He's reigning over everything all the time. He is reigning over the things that you are complaining about. He is sovereign. He has a purpose in everything. And when you complain about that, you are ultimately complaining against God because he's in control of the details. And so when you grumble, when I grumble, I'm not being humble. But see his power here. See his supreme and sovereign power and know that he has gracious promises here. Like verse 17. I think ultimately looking 400 plus years ahead to the Jerusalem temple, he's going to bring them into that place that he prepared But even in their lifetime, verse 14 through 16, is going to be fulfilled. In fact, 40 years later, there was a Canaanite named Rahab. Remember the story of Jericho? The the people of Jericho had seen, at least they'd heard about God's supremacy, God's sovereignty. And, And this is what, when the spies went into that great walled city of Jericho, and they went into the home of Rahab, this is what she told them. I know that Yahweh has given you the land, and the terror of you has fallen on us, and all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. She's using the same as here. For we have heard how Yahweh dried up the water of the Red Sea before you came up out of Egypt. Indeed, we heard it, and our hearts melted and a courageous spirit no longer rose up in any man because of you for Yahweh your God he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath she understood and the people of that land understood his unrivaled supremacy and we also see his sovereignty there in saving Rahab converting Rahab that's 40 years later that this supreme and sovereign God is fulfilling what he inspired in Exodus 15. Rahab pleads for steadfast love. She uses the same language from this song. And God saves her. God makes her a part of Israel. A text said. But Now turn to Isaiah chapter 19. And this is something I think we also have to think about because... People hear about God's judgment in the Old Testament, and maybe they think it harsh that God would utterly judge Egypt or utterly judge Canaan, but we need to remember God's holy justice. But also, He is gracious, even to those very people groups. He's gracious to any who repent, including Canaanite harlots like Rahab, and Egyptians back in the Exodus story who feared in chapter 9, and some of them joined Israel in the Exodus in chapter 12. But here's Egypt. They had oppressed Israel. Remember, Israel then came to the point where they cried out to the Lord because they were being, they were being oppressed, and he sent them salvation. So Egypt was that oppressor, but this is not the end for Egypt in God's plans. Isaiah 19 is a prophecy of a future Egypt where Egypt is going to be oppressed. And this arch enemy of Israel has future grace even for them. Look at Isaiah 19 verse 20. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt when they, this is Egypt, cry to the Lord because of oppressors. He will send them a savior. There's that word Yeshua we've seen He's going to send them a savior and defender and deliver them. And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and worship with sacrifice and offering. And they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing and they will turn to the Lord and he will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. That's heal Egypt. In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. And Assyria will come into Egypt and Egypt into Assyria. And the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria. A blessing in the midst of the earth whom the Lord of hosts has blessed saying blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. This is, you don't, you don't even understand what this would mean to those Jewish readers because in the Old Testament, Israel is the one who God says, Israel is my people. This is my blessed people, but one day he's going to say, Blessed be Egypt, my people. And when Isaiah wrote sacrifice and offering, that was the, the language of true worship of their day. They're going to truly worship when that day comes, not necessarily in old forms, but they're going to worship him truly. But, but don't miss this. This is a stunning prophecy. Before the end, Egypt is going to turn to the Lord along with Israel. In the land of Egypt, God is going to send Yeshua That's actually the name Jesus. We get that from there. He's going to save them. He's going to ultimately fulfill what he promised in Exodus. One of his promises in the Exodus story is the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh. And Egypt will turn to him. They'll plead for mercy. He'll heal them. And they'll worship with Assyria and Israel, former Muslims and Jews Altogether, I think Calvin is right, this means a a conversion of Egypt in Christ's kingdom. I don't know exactly how, but I do know, and and people who would be reading this would know, if there is hope for Egypt in the future, there's hope for any. There's hope for any former enemies. And so go back to Exodus 15, but we need to see God is supreme and sovereign over salvation, even of former enemies enemies and i think we even see a, a small picture of that in the new testament as jesus as a young baby goes into egypt and even at the day of pentecost it mentions there were jews from egypt who were among those hearing the word of god and and joining the church but in the future there's even more to come of egyptians coming to saving faith so see god as supreme and sovereign and number three worship and song worship him in song, all of you. Verse 20, then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. So the ladies here are echoing verse 1. And I love this picture here. And this is A picture showing us that worship is for all God's people. Ancient writings of other religions didn't usually mention women. And certainly not like this. But God's word honors women. It involves them vitally in worship. It says all the women here were involved. They went out after Miriam. She spoke from God these inspired words. She was a a prophetess. That this is a, a role of, of speaking the truth of God, and not to be confused with the, the shepherd-teacher role of her brother Moses, but this is an important role that she's given. There, there's only a, a handful of, of others who are named as prophetesses in Scripture. She's the first. She's honored in this very special way. And in the New Testament, God again would come to speak directly to a woman named Miriam. At least that's what she would have been called by the Jews. We call her Mary. The Greek or the English version is Mary. But Mary and Miriam is is the same name. And then there's an, as Mary with Joseph goes to the temple there, there's an elderly prophetess named, anyone remember her name? Anna. Anna comes, and she has this special revelation that she's going to see Jesus, the baby Jesus in the temple. She, she may have been about 84 years old. God spoke to and through Anna. It says, She went all around the city, speaking to any who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. What a blessing she had to go around and be an evangelist in the city of Jerusalem when so many of the men of Israel weren't paying attention to what was happening. Anna gets to be an evangelist for the Lord. Miriam is probably even older than Anna because if if you do the math, Moses, it said, was 80 years old at this time. Um, She was his older sister on the banks of the Nile. Remember when he's in the basket? Uh, she was old enough and brave enough to speak to the the daughter of the king. So, uh, it's it's uh, she may have been close to 90 years old. And I think it's it's special that this is highlighted in the inspired scripture. You could have just moved on to the next event, but it highlights this this person at the beginning and the end of the story who has such an important role. This person on the shore. Of the river is now on the shore of the Red Sea. She had seen a a picture of God delivering his people like she did, like she saw with her brother in a small way through the water. Everyone else's others are dying around him, but God saves and preserves this one and has a special plan for him. And now she sees all of God's people through the water while so many are dying around them. And she sees, as a prophetess, God has a special plan. For his people. She teaches the women, she leads them. And I think this highlights not only women, but elderly. We might say, in in our context here, the super seniors. Uh, She she was an 80 and better club, Uh, but she's leading and teaching the women here. And Titus 2 commands older women to teach younger women in the church. This is vital. Ministry So ladies go after Miriam, follow her example. We need your gifts in worship and service alongside other sisters and, and let's all learn from her in verse twenty one as she calls out sing to the Lord for all of us and all that we are and, and the text says they were dancing and we'll lead We'll read later how David danced before the Lord in worship. And so says she had a tambourine or a timbrel in her hand. The dictionaries say this was a, a drum that was beat by the hand, often with, with dancing. Some of you maybe get a little uncomfortable when you hear those D words in, in church. Maybe you're a little nervous. Drums and dancing. But here we have this elderly Worship leader, calling to worship the Lord in reverence, rejoicing, and it may not be your style, but it is in your scriptures. Let me just read a little bit more. Psalm 81, sing, make a loud shout, strike the timbrel to God who brought up from the land of Egypt. You may prefer older songs a certain way, and that's okay. Okay. But Psalm 149 uses some of the same language to say, Sing to the Lord a new song and His praise in the congregation with dancing. Let them sing praises to Him with timbrel. Psalm 150, praise God in His sanctuary. Praise with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe, or the King James has organs, with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That's how the Psalms end, and the New Testament says the Psalms are to teach and admonish us in our worship. And those Psalms admonish us and encourage us and urge us in all that we are to sing and praise to the Lord, along with hymns and a variety of songs, we should be moved as we sing. And it's okay to move even a little bit. If you don't lift a hand, at least lift your voice. If you're not comfortable shouting aloud, can you at least say amen from time to time? You know, we have different cultures and different comfort levels, but we are called to worship God with all that we are. We're to glorify and enjoy Him in our expression and, and even emotion as long as it is driven by the truth. Amen? Amen. Some of you maybe aren't sure if you should say amen, but just just keep pursuing these things. Worship and song, all of you. And then fourthly and finally, trust the Lord who transforms and heals. There was dancing at the beach, but there is going to be some some dragging in the desert. There's going to be some complaining because there's no water they can drink. So you can understand their complaint. I mean, we can complain about far less things than three days with no water. But there's only, in verse 23, the bitter water of Marad. It must have been a bitter disappointment when they see this water and they run and whoever gets there first begins to drink it and then just, just says, Don't drink any of it. It's, it's terrible. It's horrible. It's undrinkable. And so there's a bitter complaint now in verse 24. And as you read that, it's not wrong. It wasn't wrong to ask, what shall we drink? But it's the wrong attitude, and maybe more specifically, it's the wrong person. Because earlier, it talked about how they cried out, and their cry went up to the Lord. And then the Lord responded to their cry, and the Lord transformed their whole situation. Back when they were in Egypt... And remember, he came down and the first thing he did is he began working with the water. He brought judgment on the water of the Egyptians. He made the water undrinkable for their enemies. He turned it to blood, remember? And we read, heard about that in Revelation as well. And he had also just done another miracle with water. He had just transformed the whole Red Sea into a walkway of dry land. For them they just seen the Lord's power over water why not ask him for another water miracle remember when Jesus was here on earth they said surely the one who could open the eyes of the blind couldn't he have helped Lazarus from from dying and that wasn't a bad question but they're not turning to the Lord here. They're just grumbling against Moses. But they should have been thinking, if if God can kill the greatest army on earth by water, can't He keep us alive by water? Shouldn't we go to Him? They just sang of God's rescuing and redeeming and reigning power in corporate worship. But now they go from seeing wonders to being whiners. From praising to complaining. But let's remember, we can do that. We do do that with far less. But Moses, verse 25, says, He cried to the Lord. He may have even said the same words, but it's to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there He, this is the key word, He tested them. God is testing His people so that they will grow. When things come into our life like this and we don't see how He's going to provide, He's testing us. He's testing us so that we would grow and also so that He would show the way the, the word for show here is actually the root word we get Torah from, which is the law. And we'll talk later in future messages about the law, how it's to show the way. It shows us who God is. It shows us our need. And it, it, it can't save, but it can show us the way that He will deliver. And so this is God's test. He's testing them. And this is the first question on the exam. There's going to be a number of other questions in future passages. But the first question is, will you trust God to provide? Will you trust God to provide? And Israel starts over for 1. The next question is, will you obey me? So we could say, will you trust And obey. Will you ask God to provide? Will you trust? Will you obey? This is what verse 26 is getting at. Where the Lord is saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in His eyes and give ear to His commandments and keep all His statutes, I, this isn't Moses speaking, this is the Lord speaking, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians for I am the Lord your healer. He is the healer. And we need to say, even as this word heal comes up, that this is not an absolute promise for physical physical healing for all time. This is a promise to Israel at this time that they would not experience the plagues that God put on Egypt if they trust and obey. So think of plagues like undrinkable water in that first plague. I'm not going to give you undrinkable water if you will just trust me or, or death to their children like in the last plague, that that wouldn't come to them if they would follow him, that they wouldn't get those skin diseases like like boils and, and other diseases that Egypt had. But this is not, as I said, an absolute promise for physical healing for all time. You can turn on Christian TV today, you can see faith healers who say, today you won't get diseases. If, you just, if you're just faithful to obey, if you just have enough faith, or that if you do have a disease or disability or illness, God will heal you if you have enough faith. That is false. That is bad theology. That is horrible. That is heretical, and that is hurtful to God's people. That is not true. And Moses, who's Moses had an impediment. Job, the most righteous man on earth, had boils not because of any sin of his own. Paul had a fleshly ailment. Timothy had a bad stomach that Paul encouraged him to take some wine for his stomach. But we do trust the Lord who heals. If it's his will, he is the healer. And he has healed people in this room. And there's others of you who have not been healed physically yet, who he has no less care for. And I also know that he also gives strength to endure. He transforms situations. He gives the strength that people need to endure. But we pray regularly for people in our church, to the God who says, I am the Lord your healer and I'll share with you guys this hits me close to home with my sister who grew up in my home my older sister Laura who lives in Arizona has just gotten diagnosed with cancer and she's starting chemo this month and the the surgery or the stage of that is is to be determined and so next Lord's Day I, I won't be with you here because I'll be with her but this is this has been dominating my thinking as I'm reading about the Lord, our healer, and I am praying and trusting that he can heal and or transform in the process. And my sisters encourage me as to how the Lord has already been changing her in this time. Most of you don't know her, but I know she would appreciate any prayers as she trusts the Lord. I know a number of you have things like that in your family as well. There's people in this room who are walking that journey right now. We need to know the Lord is the great physician. And he can surprise doctors. He can heal through doctors. He has created the human body in an amazing way to even heal itself. We should give him the glory however he does that or doesn't do that. And there is an ultimate final sense in which there is healing that every believer will have, but sometimes that healing is taking them to heaven or they're completely free from pain and all of that. But I I know some are on journeys right now. You have other worries right now. You have uncertainties right now about your situation, about your future. Maybe physical, financial, it may be relational, things that you can't seem to heal. In the end of verse 26, this word for heal is not just about physical healing. This word is actually used for all kinds of healing, spiritual and in other ways. And, and this story is not just about bitter water. This story also reveals that there's things that can come out of our heart when we're going through difficulty that sometimes aren't good. They overflow from sinful hearts. Bitterness can come out from us in these times. And and I I love the story of the book of Ruth, which actually has several connections to this chapter, where Mara isn't just a place, it's a person. Don't call me Naomi, she told the ladies of Bethlehem. Call me Naomi. Mara. She's intentionally using this word from this story. Call me Mara because the Lord has made my life very bitter. That's one way that even a true believer can can go. They can become bitter. That's the place in Exodus 15. She's coming back from Moab, which is also the place in verse 15. But God transforms. Naomi in the story God begins to heal her to see the truth of verse 13 his steadfast love it's it's the word that that comes up in the story of Ruth that she has her eyes open to see that God's steadfast love has not ceased he has not stopped showing loving kindness steadfast love chapter two of Ruth And by the end of the story, the women are going to tell Naomi this. Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. He will renew your life. He will sustain you in your old age. It's just a wonderful story. Look at Ruth 1 and then look at Ruth 4, the beginning and the end of the story, and see that transformation and healing in Naomi who wanted bitter to be her identity, but she sees that she is blessed, and how sweet for her to hold that newborn baby at the end of that story. She holds this baby, and the author of Ruth says this baby would be the grandpa of David, the grandpa of David. And Rahab, by the way, is the mom of Boaz, according to Matthew 1. She's also redeemed in the family tree of the great Redeemer. I mean, it's just so wonderful, God's grace, even to these very peoples, and even the connection of how all Scripture is connected together, leading to Jesus, and even this language of a tree. In verse 25, God showed Moses a log. Literally, the word is tree. He showed him a tree, and that would be the remedy to bitterness. They're about to die after three days of thirst, But this tree transforms the water to give life instead of death. And Israel needed more than sweeter water. But isn't that interesting? God could have just taken the bitterness away, but he didn't just take the bitterness away of the water. He made it sweet even. But they need more than sweeter water to drink. They ultimately needed a Savior. And that's where this is all pointing them to. And Moses earlier used this same word tree in Genesis two remember there was this tree of life there were these waters and everything was was wonderful in this land but sin cut them off from all that but scripture is going to later talk about how god will transform creation there's going to be these springs of water again there's going to be this tree of life and as the bible says for the healing of the nations and God would later show the way there by another tree. It would be the tree where Jesus drank the bitter cup of God's wrath that we heard about earlier, that the whole world deserves, but Jesus came and he drank the fullness of that wrath for those who would believe in him. Here's what 1 Peter 2, 24 says. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. And then it says, for by his wounds, you have been, what? You've been healed through his wounds and that that clearly is applying to, to spiritually. There's spiritual healing through his wounds. But even in wounds that we have, we can be healed of those as well. It's so sweet to trust in Jesus, isn't it? The song talks about the cleansing, healing waters that come from him. John Newton wrote, Amazing grace, how, what, sweet the sound. This is the language all over what we sing. Here's what John Newton also wrote. Bitter waters, he said, from this desert flow, they taste of sin and woe. But listen to this, there's a wonder working wood. I've heard believers say it can make these bitter waters good. It can take the curse away. When they by faith behold the cross, Though many griefs they meet, they draw again from every loss, and they can find the bitter sweet, the cross on which the Savior died and conquered for his saints. This is the tree by faith applied, which can sweeten all complaints. I love that. Through the tree of the cross Our complaints can be sweetened. That's the power of the cross for every bitter thought, every evil deed. It can transform our complaining to praising. The Lord can save and heal bitter hearts that repent. If you turn to him, he can transform you within. In the Gospels, Jesus is the Lord, our healer. And like verse 18, we can say the Lord Jesus will reign forever and ever. He is the majestic sweetness that sits enthroned and reigns above. And like in verse 17, when it says God would go to prepare a place for them, I think of how Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Where I am, there you may also be. We call that place the sweet by and by. It's, It's that place where that... One day that sweet chariot will come to carry home those who believe in the sweet Savior. Some of you are looking forward to that day. We all need to look forward to that day more and more. That sweet by and by where we'll rest on that beautiful shore. We need to think more of heaven. We need to live more in light of what matters. And to know that we're redeemed by Jesus, like verse 13 says. He has the sweetest name on earth. It's the sweetest name I know. May he keep us singing as we go. Amen. Let's pray and then let's praise this Lord who transforms and heals. Thank you, our Father, for giving us your Son. I ask that you would forgive us our grumbling. Give us grace to help us give thanks instead, even today when we're tested as we go from here. I would ask that you keep a root of bitterness from rising up among us that would defile many in relationships. And that you would help us, even today, when we're tempted to murmur or to complain, about our life, that you would remind us that you are supreme and you are sovereign over everything in our life, that you are intending and working for our good. We praise your steadfast love that spread the feast that sweetly drew us in so that we wouldn't perish in our sin as we deserve. And I ask that you would turn our complaining to praising that there is a Redeemer. Help us to sing to him In his name, amen.